Well, it's wonderful to be, oops, back in the pulpit. The last time I was supposed to be here was to open this series on one another. And thanks to Carl, you heard my sermon. He did a great job. Thank you, Carl. And actually, all of these sermons in the series, our staff has just done such a great job. I'm, I've been deeply encouraged by each of them and by how they've opened the word to us in this series, One Another. Today is actually the first day of my second year as your transition pastor. And I'm, yes, thank you. And I want to, I'm going to be sending out an e another one of my, this won't be quite as long, trust me, but a leadership email, and I'll talk about the next steps in the transition, the progress we're making, and what's coming next. Uh, but I'm encouraged, I have to tell you, by the healing that has already occurred and the plans for this year two of transition as we begin the process of searching for the person that we're calling pastor next. So be in prayer for pastor next. God knows who they are already, and we need to be praying for our church as we begin that process of search, and you'll hear more about it. If, you don't, if we don't have your email, that's a, a very important way for me to communicate with you, so you can turn that in, use that Connect card, turn that in, uh, and drop it in one of the, the uh, boxes at the back, and we'd love to have you on our email list. Well, today's series, or today's sermon, is called, entitled, Healthy Correction. And I'm gonna start with a story that is an example of unhealthy correction. I can still, to this day, remember how I felt when someone came up to me in my college fellowship. They had decided it was their job to correct my behavior and point out some of my deficient character qualities. Now, that was a long time ago, I won't say how long, but as I think about it now, I can't remember the, any of the content of the critique, but I still remember how I felt, lousy. I was wounded. His words stung. And I'm so grateful that there was an older Christian in that group who sat with me in my pain and who assured me that not only did God love me, but even though God knew everything about me, including all of my character problems, God delighted in me. Now, he didn't just give me some platitudes about God's love. He gave me a little InterVarsity Press booklet entitled Practical Criticism, Giving It and Taking It. And that little booklet has helped guide me from scripture and common sense to this day on how to do healthy correction. You know, in a world of criticism, it is easy to decide I will just avoid deep relationships entirely. In fact, many Christians are so wounded by unhealthy correction or criticism that they fall into a bad pattern. They end up talking about others rather than talking to others. But all of us know deep down that in order to be healthy 
to be healthy soil as we began this series. We need constructive feedback. We need loving critique. But it always needs to be in a context of deep and trusting relationships where we can know and be known by others, where we can love and be loved. We need the church to be the way God intended, a fellowship of love where we are known and deeply loved just as we are and gently challenged to grow. That's, that's the message of our first reading from Galatians. But our main text this morning is from Hebrews chapter 10, and it's about the kind of church that God wants Grace Commons and all churches to be. So let's read Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. That is the foundation. Without knowing that we are loved by Jesus, without knowing that we have confidence not in ourselves but in Jesus who died for him and who opened up a relationship with our loving Father who has a remedy for our annoying character flaws and our annoying habits and all of the other sin in our lives through his blood and who continues day and night to intercede for us. Without that gospel foundation, nothing I'm going to talk about and nothing the author of Hebrews is about to say will make sense. This is the gospel, the foundation. Let's keep going. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me put up this slide. This was in the sermon I was going to preach that Carl preached, but this is the foundation. Without this foundation, we can't understand these commands from Scripture. We have three choices as followers of Christ. We can try harder to live up to the commandments. That was the Pharisee's strategy. Second, we can live in defeat call it brokenness, and rest in God's forgiveness and grace. That's not the full gospel. The full gospel is discipleship and active grace with disciplines in the process of spiritual formation towards Christ's likeness. And today's sermon is to be meant to be understood only in light of number three. Today's sermon is 
can't be understood apart from this deep trust, loving, faithful relationship with the God who loves us, with his son who died for us and opened this way that the author of Hebrews talks about, and with the spirit living inside of us and keeping us in step with God's spirit as we live out these commands. So don't try harder, folks, and don't settle for living in brokenness and then just trusting that you'll be forgiven and that God will gracefully let you on. No, press on into the relationship that transforms us through the Holy Spirit. So let's go back now, if I can make it go back. So this is, this is, this is now how we understand verse 22 through the end of the section. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That's the foundation. And now, second command, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. There are three commands in this section from Hebrews 10, 9 to 25. The foundation I'm summarizing is draw near to God in faith. The second is to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Those two commands are foundational to these ethical commands to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Verse 25, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another is actually not a fourth exhortation. That's why it's not on the slide. But it's a participle phrase that explains how to carry out the exhortation of verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. In other words, it's an additional way to spur one another on. So the command is to spur one another on. And this verse, this phrase, one another, which is our sermon series, this is the only usage in the book of Hebrews of this phrase, one another. We are called to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Let's dig into this a little bit more. First, consider. Consider simply means you have to give some thought to this. You have to think about the other person. You have to take the focus off of yourself and thinks, think about the other person. Ask this simple question. What does this other person need to help him or her grow in love and good deeds? Now, this is not natural to human beings. I'll give you an example. I'll throw my grandson under the bus. As soon as the last family birthday happens, which happens to be mine, at the beginning of April, he starts to talk about his birthday, which isn't until August 1st. And he starts to talk about what presents he might want. 
and especially to remind his absent grandparents because you know you have to have time to order. He doesn't understand Amazon Prime. <laughs> he doesn't understand last minute gift giving. He wants me to consider him. Now, that's appropriate when you're seven, about to turn eight, although part of his discipleship parents is helping him think about others. But folks, when we're adults, when we are disciples of Jesus Christ, our job is to think about others, to consider other people, to stimulate them towards love and good deeds. It's not natural. It's only possible when we pray, God, fill me with your spirit to be thinking about others. And more and more, it becomes natural to us as we follow into this, this journey of discipleship. So consider is very important. The other word, though, is stimulate. And this is the Greek word paraox. I can't pronounce Greek. I used to be really good at it. Para, paroxysmon. We translate it stimulate or provoke. Now, it's a very unusual word to use in this context. It normally, in the New Testament, has a very negative connotation, it, like provoke. It means, like in the book of Acts, if you can read chapter 15, verse 39, or chapter 17, verse 16, Provoke there is a completely different usage of this Greek word. But here, the author of Hebrews is using it somewhat ironically to grab the attention of his readers and to grab ours. He's saying rather than provoking one another to anger, which is the normal way it's used, which is the natural way in our flesh that we use this word, Think about how to provoke one another or stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You have to ask, why does he use this word in this context? Christian love has to be worked at. It isn't automatic. It requires thought and effort, even as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And the context is really important here. Hebrews, the author tells us that it happens when we assemble together, when we are the ecclesia, the gathered church. Now, the author is writing to Christians scattered all over the Roman Empire who are meeting in what we would call today house churches. And he knows that some people have grown discouraged because of persecution. Others had been wounded by fellow disciples and had dis been discouraged and dropped out, given up. Joe uh, Kutzel, in a beautiful sermon about how that is a huge problem in his generation. People had decided they could worship God better alone. But as Ash reminded us so powerfully last month in her sermon on the royal we, the Bible is so crystal clear. It's only possible to be a disciple with other disciples. All these commands in our passage begin with, let us, second person plural. Carrie's right now in Florida visiting friends in our former congregation. And 
What I love about that church is that there are a lot of people, even though it's in South Florida and you could be from New York or New Jersey or anywhere in the United States, that particular church has a lot of Southerners in it. And they all say, how y'all doing? And my, one of my favorite things is they have another word, all y'all. Okay, say that, all y'all. Okay, so y'all is like a small group, y'all. Y'all are doing great, right? But all y'all is, is a very expansive word. So I'm, I'm, today I'm talking to all y'all, all right? Southern English is such a great language. It's so much like the Greek in the New Testament. <laughs> so when you hear, let us, you really need to hear it. This isn't an individual command. You can only do this as the royal we. We can only do this together. Now, I, I entered the ministry full-time, in full-time vocational ministry, over 40 years ago. And I have observed a few patterns in the churches where Carrie and I have worshipped, because sometimes we were pew sitters, and sometimes I was up pastoring a church. But here's some of the patterns. Almost all the time when people drop out of the church, they've been thinking, they've been not considering others, but they've been thinking about themselves. Instead of thinking like our author thinks, how can I be used of God to spur others on in love? They think, my needs aren't being met. This church is unfriendly and unloving. Friends, in the New Testament, and especially in the book of Hebrews, there is another way. It's the way of assembling together. It's the way of loving fellowship, of disciples thinking about all y'all and y'all. It's thinking about the other and encouraging them to love and good works. You can practice faith and hope when you're by yourself, but you can never in practice encouraging one another to love and good deeds without other disciples. We have to gather with others in regular worship and Bible study and engage with others in service and outreach together. That is the understanding of the entire New Testament. Okay, so the, he goes on to, and picks up this second word, parakaleo, English exhort or encourage. And let's talk about this for a few minutes. We are to encourage one another, that's the command, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is in the context that God is going to return, that we need to press into that hope when we get discouraged by other believers. I pressed into that hope way back when, when I was unhealthily corrected. And here, I'm still here, aren't I? Still walking on this long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson famously described discipleship. We need to persevere by encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now this word parakaleo means literally to come alongside. Uh, it can mean exhorting, 
or encouraging, and I'll talk about each one. The noun paraclete, Holy Spirit, right, is also used in the New Testament as an advocate who will plead your case in a court of law. So even though you're probably guilty, you have an advocate that disregards your guilt and pleads your case before the judge. We are to be that kind of encourager with other believers. Now, the great example in the early church was, of course, Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement or son of consolation. Barnabas is the one who entered into the apostles Paul's life when he desperately needed a trusted friend, a person who could vouch for him. Can you imagine Saul turned Paul showing up at church one day? What would you do? If you were smart, you would avoid him. He had been going around gathering other Pharisees and conspiring to persecute these new Christians. He was there giving approval at the execution by stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Without Barnabas, there would be no Apostle Paul. Barnabas came in saw that God had heard his testimony and saw that God had indeed transformed Paul. But Paul was still Paul. You know, there was a lot of Saul in Paul. It took a lot of years to get that out and Barnabas saw through and saw the potential of this amazing man of God. So encouraging is critical in the discipleship and growth of other believers. And Barnabas is a wonderful example for us if you want to study his life. Now, if you're in doubt about whether you should encourage or exhort, and there's a difference. Exhort is a little more directive, like you're really screwing up, buddy. If you're ever in doubt in a relationship, encourage, don't exhort. (laughs) Exhortations are for those you really know well, where there's a lot of trust. They have seen you and experienced encouragement first. They've experienced you coming alongside and they've built a trusting relationship. Then and only then should you turn to the other part of this word and start exhorting. Its exhortation should only come in fear and trembling, humbly. When you're led by the Spirit, when you sense that the Spirit has opened a door and they've invited you into their life. Now this command to encourage one another and sometimes exhort has several important implications. First, Contrary to the the old maxim, you actually are your brother's keeper. It is impossible for the pastors and staff and elders of this church to shepherd everyone who comes here. And for this body to be healthy, every single person needs to take responsibility to encourage their fellow disciples. 
If we sense that someone may be discouraged, maybe drop, dropping out or drifting away, consider how you might encourage them. Listen to their concerns. Sometimes exhort them to come back and to lean in to being a vital part of this body. It's, this is delicate spiritual work. It's so delicate that Jesus focuses our minds and hearts on how to encourage or exhort one another in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 3 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We've got to see when the Holy Spirit helps us remove the plank from our own eye. And remember, it's just a speck in your brother or sister's eye. And it's in their eye. It requires a delicacy. So do not be like that unnamed person who confronted me as a new believer with my character flaws. Prayerfully, when you're invited in to exhort, do that. But we are to encourage and sometimes exhort. Paul says, it is only we who are spiritual, Galatians 6, who can do this with a brother or a sister. And it must always be done in a spirit of gentleness. Now, you might think, well, that's just the New Testament. Nope. Here it is. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Friends, if we want to be wise, if we want to be growing believers, we need to welcome correction. We need to say, take the speck out of my eye. Invite others into our lives who lovingly encourage and sometimes exhort us. We can't do this without going deeply into each other's lives. We've got to learn to know one another and trust one another beyond a superficial level. Now, of course, it's impossible in a church of this size to know everyone well, but each of us can know some pretty well. And that means we need to meet outside of this large group experience on Sunday morning. This is crucial for worship and instruction in God's word, but it's of vital importance that we meet with other believers on other occasions so we can encourage one another in our discipleship. Friends, we have been challenged in this series, one another, to love one another, even to love our enemies. But the only way that can happen is in smaller groups. So if you're not in a small group, we are going to be talking about that this fall. Common space groups are coming. Watch for announcements. Join up with one. Carrie and I are in a wonderful common space group with 
people that we have gone deeper with over the past year. It is a joy to be able to do that more deeply, even in this period of transition. And it's going to take some deliberate focus and effort. We've got to consider before we can encourage. We've got to take our eyes off ourselves and think about others. So if you see someone at church who seems like they're lonely or ill at ease, take the initiative to introduce yourself. Take an interest in him or her. Set up a time to have coffee. It's really just an application of the golden rule to treat others as you would want them to treat through, treat you. So this week, I would ask you to prayerfully examine your life. Which of these three exhortations that the author to Hebrews has given us, let's go back to them, do you most need to apply? Do you need to have more consistency in drawing near to God in faith? Are you doubtful and you need to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering? Or do you need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching? Prayerfully examine and think through specific ways you can grow where God, by his spirit, prompts you to apply these commands. It's my prayer for each of us that we can live more deeply into our faith, that we can encourage one another daily to rely on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. May that be so in you and in me. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful for your word that is like a two-edged sword. It cuts in and divides us and opens areas of our life that you want to lovingly work on. Thank you that we can completely trust your spirit to do this crucial work in us. And Lord, I pray that for each of us, we would grow towards this community being a place of stimulating one another to love and good deeds, of encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.